Our text this morning is Psalm 127, so as you have your Bibles and you want to turn there with me, you can. I'm going to take a good look around. Some of you may be new to the church even in the last six weeks or so, or I think four weeks since I've been on vacation. Well, kind of. Uh, I'm on vacation, but I don't know if it's, I need a vacation. This is a rest, sort of. Uh, but um, we've, uh, my wife and I have been absent these past uh, month or so uh, because on July 7th, Sydney uh, and I welcomed into our family two of our two sons, uh, two sons to our family. Uh, uh, I forgot their name. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, Asher and Christian, Asher and Christian. And uh, you, as you can tell, as you can tell, like all, new, all parents and newborns, so we, and you know, I'm so, uh, I'm exhausted. I'm here, Cindy is exhausted. I, we, we felt that it was best for her to continue to stay home with the, with the, with the newborns uh, today. So she's at home. We are exhausted, of course. And all, in the back here, we have our parents and newborns sitting in the back. And you can just kind of, you know, you can see it on their faces too. Generally, you know, they're just like they're wiped, but we're exhausted because we're exhausted from that just the constant, the sleeplessness that comes from a constant care of of two little ones that are in our charge. You know, or, or for us two, a little bit for you, many of you, one, and it's a lot of work for one. Trust, I know that. Um, and and here I am, uh, you know, called to preach to you in my state of exhaustion, um, but uh, so. And reflecting on what I would speak to you today, I really just thought I should just speak to you on what God's been teaching me. I can tell you what God's been teaching me. That's the easiest thing to do. So what God's been teaching me is really just something that I've, I've spoke, is a text particularly I've spoken on before, Psalm 127. If you have great memory uh, and you remember the sermon, well, you, know, you may be excused, I suppose. But I've, no, you're not. You're, you stick around. But it's... But it's funny now, as we grow older, you come back to another text, you see it a different, in a little more different light, with a little more experience. You say, wow, I, I don't even preach it. I won't even preach it the same way anymore. Um, so, but this text that I've come to is really just a message that God's been reinforcing in my heart. Um, God has been, particularly in, this kind of, in those moments of sleepless desperation and, and the weighted worries of, of care for children, uh, God has been teaching me in my weakness. This morning's sermon is, is a sermon, but it's, it's also a testimony. It's a testimony to you. It's a testimony that I want to declare before this congregation because I believe that God, whatever God teaches us, ought to be declared to the people of God in whatever ways uh, that he should, gives us opportunity. David writes in Psalm 40, verses 9 through 10, that I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, you know. And that uh, phrase, O Lord, you know, so, is so pregnant with meaning. You know, Lord. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I, I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. So today, this morning, I want to proclaim to the great congregation what God is doing, who God is, his righteousness, his salvation, his faithfulness, his, uh, his loving kindness and truth to me and to all. This uh, lesson that I speak upon this morning is something that's been hammered unto me. And it's kind of that way for many of us, isn't it? It's always in our times of desperation when we really feel helpless, when we feel like there's no way to turn, that we turn to the one we should have turned to the first place, that's God. And then we say, oh, Lord, I, I was a fool. I, I should have just trusted you the first time. The, the lesson that God's been teaching me is a, not a, a new lesson, but a, an old lesson, and that is that I need the Lord. We all need the Lord. The Bible teaches that all mankind is 100% dependent upon God. We have nothing, we do nothing, and really we are nothing apart from sovereign, our sovereign God. This theme is found in Psalm 127, our psalm for this morning. And uh, I'd like to read the psalm and then let's pray. Let's hear this psalm. Let's hear what the scriptures say. Psalm 127, 
a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Pray with me one more time. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, as you use me to proclaim your word, may you, your spirit take your word and cause it to go forth, accomplish exactly that which you purpose in the, the, the congregation that is gathered here. Oh, Lord, speak to each one, even as I share from some of my own lessons that I've learned, my experiences, Lord, that are consistent from your word. Lord, I pray that you would teach your people, confirm in them, remind them of how much they depend upon you and how much they need you, even, Lord, as I have been reminded this month of how much I need you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 127 is a psalm, if you notice by the, the kind of the heading, it's a psalm that's written by King Solomon. King Solomon. Now, King Solomon was the wisest man, of, wisest of all men on earth, and apart from Jesus, that is. And he wrote uh, the book of wisdom, Proverbs. In fact, he had so much wisdom, he wrote the book of Proverbs, but he also wrote another book of wisdom called the book of Ecclesiastes. There in the book of Ecclesiastes, which he wrote near the end of his life, He wrote of this major theme that life is vanity. Life is vain. It's it's empty. It's a vapor. It's a breath. It's it's passing. It's it's meaningless apart from the fear and knowledge of God. That's very key. Apart from. Not that just life is meaningless absolutely, but life is meaningless. Life is empty. Life is vapor, a vanity apart from the fear of God. And knowledge of God. It is only through a right fear and right knowledge of God that our lives have meaning, have worth, have value because of God who created it. It is a waste to live this life without a fear and knowledge of God, as Ecclesiastes teaches us. This same theme of the vanity of life apart from God is found in Psalm 127. It's only two Psalms that Solomon writes. We see, we'll see in this psalm three times they mention the word vain. It's vain to do this. It's vain to do this. It is vain to do this. It is vain to live life apart from God. This psalm is also called a song of ascents, a song of ascents. And you might see this as a title for many of the psalms. Usually in this section of the psalms, we see this title, Song of Ascents. And it was, these are songs that were sung by the Israelites when they would ascend Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on a hill in a sense, and they would ascend to it. Wherever they go from uh, in Israel, they would kind of go up to Jerusalem. They would be said as they go up to Jerusalem. And as they would ascend, they would sing these songs. It wouldn't be not necessarily that they would sing them on every Sabbath, but they would sing them in a sense, just like maybe you, you and your families might sing songs when you are traveling long distance. You turn on the radio and you just kind of, oh, yeah, I like this song. Let's sing this song. You sing some VeggieTales songs when you kids you know, in the car, right? Or whatever songs that your family likes to sing. Well, these songs would have been sung by families as they traveled, by clans as they traveled, by neighbors as they traveled together as they headed to Jerusalem to worship God. It's no wonder then that as we look at this particular psalm, it has its theme focus on family and how we depend upon God for the well-being of our families. As we study this passage then, we'll draw out four lessons. Four lessons about how we depend upon God. I write that, I put it as four realizations of our dependence that every worshiper of God must recognize. There are four areas of our dependence, and it applies, and I'm applying it directly to family. I believe that's the focus, but it could also generally apply to life. These four realizations of our dependence that every worshiper of God must recognize. Or for myself personally, it's simply four lessons that God has taught me as an anxious, sleep-deprived, barely hanging on parent of newborn twins. Okay. So let's take a look then at these four lessons that God has taught me. And so again, uh, it's not in a sense of more, there's a little more testimony that I'll be sharing with you because I feel like, well, I'm under the illusion that you're actually interested in my life. So 
Uh, I, I will share with you my testimony. Number one lesson that I've learned that God's taught me, but also what we find in the text is that I need the Lord to build my home. I need the Lord to build my home. In verse 1 here of Psalm 127, Solomon uses two pictures, two pictures to describe how we as worshipers are dependent upon God, how much we need God. The image of the building a home is used first. In verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. The word vain, I mentioned, is used three times in this passage, twice in verse 1, once in, again in verse 3. So the, clearly this is, the, or verse 2, uh, there's clearly a context of the vanity of life here, the vanity of these things that we do. This word translated emptiness, vanity, falsehood, anything that is, designates anything that's unsubstantial, unreal, worthless. It is worthless for a builder to try to build a house unless he depends on the Lord to build it. But I would even take a little further. It's not just worthless to build a house unless he depends on God to build it. But even if you did build it all on your own and you brought it to completion, if you did not do so in dependence upon God, that is a worthless endeavor. It's a worthless endeavor. You can go out there right now and build yourself a a house anywhere in the Bay Area and you sell it for a million bucks, right? The starting price, okay? That seems a little bit worthwhile, but if you do so, if you do that apart from dependence upon God, God's word says that that is vain. It is emptiness. It has no meaning whatsoever for you. It's a worthless endeavor. Now, Solomon, if you remember, built one of the greatest houses of all. Not his own home, not the king's temple, king's household, but the temple of God, right? The house of God. Now, it wasn't Solomon's idea, was it? Solomon didn't say, I'm going to build the temple of God. It was actually his father's idea. David wanted to build the temple. But God would not allow David because David was a man of bloodshed. He had spilled too many blood. He was a murderer, if you recall. Instead, God ordained that David's son Solomon would build the temple. And God even used David, had David collect everything that was necessary for the building of the temple so that Solomon could build it. And so Solomon, even here as he refers to, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, I believe that he's particularly thinking of the temple, that he would have never have built the temple were it not for the work of the Lord undertaking, accomplishing, working in his father, allowing his father to raise up the resources, even in Solomon's day to find the skilled workers to bring about the completion and the building of the temple and the house of God. Now, we can understand then, this, the meaning of this is that Solomon's words express that whatever we're building in our lives, whether it's a house, whether it's a temple, but anything we're occupying ourselves to build with our hands, with our lives, we must completely depend upon God to do so. Whether it's your work, your school, or your families. If we, do, if we go about building whatever we are building apart from God, apart from depending upon the Lord to build it, we labor in vain. We labor in, in something that's worth, worthless, empty. It's a vapor. It's going to pass away. It's not going to have any eternal value. Particularly in light of later on, the, voc- the focus of children in verse 3 through 5, I believe Solomon's focus here is work. His thought is that, his, though he's thinking about the temple, it's really he's direct driving the people to realize that this applies, this principle applies particularly to the family to the household. And as these families are singing this song as they're going up to Jerusalem, they would have been reminded that these are reasons why we need to depend upon Lord for our homes, for our families. In fact, in the Bible, the word for house that we find here is used figuratively as a for a family. It refers to a household. And so just as builders of a house depend on the Lord, so too should the builders of a family. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, parents, especially fathers, are called to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, bringing up your children, as many of you parents already are aware, and, and I'm just starting to learn as a, as a young father, involves a huge investment of time and labor. As you train, as you teach them to the ways of the Lord. It takes great effort to consciously think about the very 
what I consider mundane things in my day as I play with my daughter, as I read a book to her, as I look at a tree. How can I use these things to teach her the ways of the Lord? How can I point to God through what we're doing each day of our lives? Because that's what God calls us to do. If we go back to Deuteronomy 6.4 as well. Yet, this past month, even in any of you know, the those you have when you have a second child, you know the, the challenge that you face with the older child. Okay, well, yeah, it's true. Okay, uh, and those you don't know, that's okay. Even with all our teaching and training of our children, I've just come to realize, or I'm just been impressed upon me that I can't do anything. We can't do anything to guarantee that our child, my child, and your children are going to grow to become believers in Christ. That we're to teach them the ways of the Lord. We can't guarantee that they're going to be saved. We can't guarantee that they're going to grow up and love the Lord. We can't guarantee that they're going to follow and obey his instructions. And that is even when we do everything by the book. When we follow it perfectly, if you will. I know none of us are perfect. But even if you were a perfect example, you were a consistent example over your lives, it does not guarantee that our children are going to follow the Lord. How much more impossible it is when we consider how sinful we are as parents. That's the lesson that God's been teaching me this past month. Being a parent to our daughter and this past month as a parent to our newborn kids. Oh, man. I've seen how much more sinful I am. It's confession time here. This new stage of life, and as, as every stage of life for all of us, is another crucible. It's another crucible, and I like the word crucible because that's where you're put under the fire. You're put under the fire. And the flaws that you have in your life, sins, tenful, sinful thoughts, sinful tendencies, sinful ways of thoughts, sinful behaviors are revealed under the fire, and you crack. The intensity and pressure of this past month, I tell you, has revealed many of my sin, sins. They've manifested. I, I have been selfish. I have been angry. I have been impatient. I have been unkind. And I've not even been here with you. I've asked myself and of the Lord in those moments of, of anger, frustration, despair, complaining. What kind of parent am I going to be? What kind of parent am I going to be? Here I am, losing my temper with this beautiful baby boy because he won't stop crying, and I can't figure out why. Oh, why am I being so short and unkind with my wife? I'm such a bad example. I'm so sinful. And the thing is, my children will grow up to see all my sin. They're going to see my sin. They're going to probably call me a hypocrite. These kind of moments of despair, especially usually it's late at night when I want to sleep and I can't sleep because uh, somebody's screaming and that's me. <laughs> um, that just reminded me of why I need God's son. Why I need the Lord. You know, I'm not, I've, it's intellectually I knew it, but this month has just reinforced it experientially, is that I'm not going to be a perfect parent. But I thank God that my home doesn't need a perfect parent. My home needs a perfect Savior. It's because of my sin that I need Christ's righteousness. I need the good news of Christ, that forgiveness of sins, and for the, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It's why my home needs Christ's righteousness. The righteousness, not, it's not based upon our deeds. They don't need to see me living a perfect life. That's not going to lead them to salvation because they can't live in it, and I can't either. They need to see a life that is humble, that's broken, that recognizes our sin and how much we need Christ to forgive us, how much I need to apologize to my children when I get short with them, even when they don't understand me, but to try to begin nevertheless. I need to show them that we, I, we, I need the, the righteousness of Christ that is, comes based upon faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, not a righteousness that I try to live on my own. 
It's not what my kids need. Though I desperately sometimes want to live that kind of life for them. I realize that I must depend upon the Lord to help me to faithfully tell and to teach and to, to live our need for Christ to our boys and to our daughter. What I need is the Lord. I need the Lord to build my home where all that I will do as a parent is in vain. That's what God's been teaching me. I need the Lord to build my home. Now, now how come your older parents didn't tell me that before, uh, before uh, uh, this past month? Well, maybe you were trying to, but I just didn't get it. I need the Lord. Secondly, we learned this past month and what we learned from the text is that I need the Lord to protect my home. I need the Lord to protect my home. Solomon uses a second picture to describe our dependence upon God in the latter half of verse 1. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. The word for guards and watchmen are from the common Hebrew word to keep. This idea of keeping means to protect In the Old Testament days, a city would often have a night watchman, someone who would stand on the wall, who would stay awake through the night to watch out for attacks from enemies, intruders, things people who would attack the city. And so it was absolutely essential that a night watchman would be awake and not sleeping at their post. But Solomon writes here that the watchman could keep awake all night, but unless the Lord guards the city, it would be in vain. Because the Lord is the ultimately the best guard of all. Psalm 121, just a few psalms before, is a, is a beautiful passage. It talks about how it's, the Lord is our help. He's our guardian. He's our keeper. He's the one that we look to for help. But in verse 4 of Psalm 121, God is described there as the keeper of Israel. And he's the keeper of Israel who neither sleeps nor slumbers. That's encouragement. Because God protects us even when we are unable to. God is never surprised. He's never too tired. He's never caught unaware. He's, he knows all things. God guards the city. And if God guards the city, then no one can defeat it. And so the wise king, the watchmen, recognize that they need to depend upon God to protect what they have charge of. And as parents, those are parents of a home, we need to do the same. We depend upon God for protection of our children. As parents, one of our primary tasks is to protect our children, isn't it? Now, it's just not generally just protecting them from dangers, physical dangers, that we do that. Uh, but we protect them from the sorrows of this life, from the, the possibilities of life. From their birth, we, many of us parents will buy life insurance. Why? to protect our families, our children, in case I die before they're old enough to take care of themselves. We create things like living trusts. I know we did. Um, so that there would be plans in place for the care of our children should Cindy and I go to be with the Lord before our kids can take care of themselves. Uh, we, at the hospitals, <laughs> let them have immunizations and shots. We teach them all sorts of rules like wash your hands before you eat. We warn them of the many dangers. We'll watch out. Now, is this a stranger or is this someone that's a neighbor? You know, someone you know. We teach them all these things because we want to protect them. I know parents, it's just weird. It's just this innate, we have this heightened sense. Or maybe it's just sleeplessness, I'm not sure. But the heightened sense of our children in these early stages of our life. It's like that maybe they're in danger. I just, uh, it's too quiet in the house. Kiara, what are you doing? <laughs> it's probably she's in danger. Uh, boys at night, we're just listening to every grunt, every, every, every uh, wheezing. I know many parents would give their lives, are ready to give their lives even for the, to protect their children. And though our, there's the desire for parents to protect their children, this, the difficult thing and the thing that I've been wrestling with much recently is that we can't protect our children from everything. First of all, we won't always be there for them. Uh, we are definitely outnumbered in our home. There's three against two. 
So, you know, we can only have one, one once they, the two start running, it's, oh, it's, 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 just give up. No, we just depend upon the Lord. We won't always have the ability to keep our eyes on all three. I know this past year and this past month, I thought much about my, about my own death. My, my father's death in February just started it, but having the birth of our, our sons has really made me heightened awareness. What's going to happen if I die? What will happen to my wife and my children? What's, what's going to happen? How will they be protected? How will they be okay? I want to protect them. I desperately do. But I know I won't be able to on my own. And I know I need to depend upon the Lord to protect them. God will be there for them. God will be able to protect them. Because why? Whereas I may slumber or sleep and I may even die, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He who keeps my family and my home neither sleeps nor slumbers as well. I must depend upon God to protect my home. Now, I want to add that as we are called to depend upon God to protect our homes, that it is not an excuse for us to do nothing. So, well, God's going to protect my home. I just, you know, leave the doors open. You know, let them, let Kiara just play with fire and the, you know, the, you know, just, yeah, let's go ahead. And let give them, you know, just all sorts of, play scorpions and snakes and stuff. Yeah, no problem. Trust the Lord. No, that's not the case. Solomon here, even in his, in his words, presumes that the builder is going to build. The watchman will keep awake. There is effort that's made by the builder and the watchman. So there must be efforts on our part as well. We are to do our part, our responsibility. But instead of trusting in what we do, we are to put our trust in God and what he does. We need the Lord. I need the Lord to protect my home. And we need the Lord to protect not just our home, but our lives, ourselves. Protect us. Thirdly, a lesson that God's been teaching me and we see in the text is that I need the Lord to provide for my home. I need the Lord to provide. Solomon writes here in verse 2, It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. These three phrases, rise up early, retire late, eat the bread of painful labors, describe the daily routine of many people in those days. It was basically the routine of those who were daily laborers, those who would have to get up early and they would go to bed late because they're spending their whole days working, laboring to provide food for themselves and for their families. The same thing still happens today. There are many of you who have to get up early and retire late. Why? Because you spend your waking hours in order to provide, to work, and provide food and clothing for yourselves and for your family. It's an amazing thing when you become a young parent, a young, for myself, a young father. There was no greater motivator for me to work in a sense, in a practical sense. Obviously, the fear of God is the greatest motivator, the love of God. But there's a practical motivation of becoming, having a family entrusted to you a young child, a young mouth that you are completely responsible for. When you're single, it's just you. When you're married, with a, you're newly married with a, your spouse, it's just the two of you. And you guys both are working. You guys just have a plentiful. And if anything happens to one or other, each of you, that you still have one or the other. But when you have kids, you, you really begin to feel the weight of responsibility to provide. Because here you are normally, traditionally, you're working as a husband. Your wife may be... Uh, staying at home to provide, take care of the kids. And you can't afford really to, for either of you to go through a period of either joblessness or even to have an uh, opportunity where you are unable to work, where health hits you. Because then all of a sudden, for instance, even if I, something would happen to my wife, I would then be responsible to take care of my kids as well. How can you take care of kids and work at the same time? It's impossible. So, but when you have kids, what do you do when you feel you want to provide? And uh, kids, yeah, they cost a little bit of money. Man, we were flying through uh, newborn diapers like, like just water, you know. It's fast, especially when you have two. So what do we do? The normal thing for us in human nature, when we need to provide and we need more, what do we do? We, we work harder. We work harder, right? I need more money. I'm going to get a second job. I'm going to drive for Uber. I can drive Uber, drive for Lyft. 
I need more money. I'm going to ask my boss, hey, is there any more? Can I do a little more work? Can I get some overtime? Can I work? Because if you have overtime, that's, that's like, that's bonus, right? Overtime is time and a half. Some of you have great jobs. You get double, triple time. That's great. That's the natural way that we would think about. If I need to provide more for my family, that's what I'm going to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But yet Solomon says that this in and of itself is vain. It is vain for you to work harder to provide for your family. What does that mean? Should we not work hard then? No. Scripture does value hard work. Solomon, in fact, writes in Proverbs, all throughout Proverbs, but Proverbs 6, verse 6, 11, particularly, you go there, there's a wonderful illustration of how we are called to work hard. We're not to be lazy, the sluggards. So what does Solomon mean when he says it's vain for you to work hard to provide? What he means is this, that it's vain to work hard for provide for your family apart from a dependence upon God who is the ultimate one who provides for you. Because most people work hard thinking that it's their hard work that provides. Before we even go to the Lord, we say, well, I'm just going to work harder. I'm going to go work a few more hours. Instead of what God wants us to do is to go to him first. God, I, I've got two more mouths to feed. Lord, help me to provide for them. Even as you work to provide for your family, remember that God ultimately provides for you and provides for them. Because it's he who gives us the strength to work, right? It's he who gives us that knowledge that we apply skillfully to our work. In fact, it's he who gives us our job. In fact, everything that we have is from the Lord. Job chapter 12, verse 10. Job says there that in God's hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Everything about us, every, our lives are in God's hand. Everything in our life, our strength, our knowledge, our will, our strength, our, our jobs, our families are all in God's hands. And yet it is because it is man in rebellion against God, man, sinful man, that thinks that somehow our life is in our own hands. We make of our lives of whatever we wish. But the reality is that we can't even guarantee our next breath. How can we think then that we would simply plan by working harder, therefore I will provide for my family when I don't even know if I'll be alive tomorrow? For today I might die. We cannot provide for our families apart from a dependence from God. We need the Lord to provide for our homes. And as an illustration of the vanity of continually working long hours to provide apart from God, God gives us a very helpful reminder. God gives us sleep. The text says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I know the NAS says even in his sleep, but I agree with the majority of the other English translations that sleep is that which is is given rather than the time of giving. God gives us in his sleep. Both are true, of course. God does give us even when we're sleeping. That's a wonderful truth. But the, van- the illustration here is that God gives us sleep. He gives us this gift of sleep that, that we have. See, the one who works hard to provide for his family, apart from God, does not have rest. You, you're tired all the time because you're burning the midnight oil. And you get up early the next day and it's all on you because you're working hard you're making all your efforts and I know I've been I had there are times in this past month that I was doing that just working hard to okay I'm gonna work hard I'm gonna just grit it I'm gonna change every diaper every minute that I need to change it I'm gonna feed every hour I'm gonna just stay up and and just kind of burp them I'm gonna uh, do whatever it takes to hold them for as long as I need until they fall asleep but that is impossible Trust me, I tried. <laughs> it's been exhausting. And it's in desperation in those times where literally I have screamed that I cry out to God. Oh, God, help me. Help me to provide what my family needs because I don't have what it takes to provide for them right now. I do not have the strength. God gives us sleep. In those times, I have no rest because I do not depend upon God. But when I depend upon God, even as I continue to do the very same things, making every effort, yet when I depend upon God, I find that I have a rest in Him. 
that he gives, even, in, even though the sleep is an hour or two, sometimes three, sometimes four hours. Praise God for the four hours of sleep. It is a restful sleep. There have been nights where I've been just literally feel like I'm going to die staying up to take care of for kids. But when we cast our cares upon the Lord, when we follow him as his beloved worship children, he gives a restful sleep to those who depend upon him. Even though you are working hard, even though you are burning the midnight oil, but a dependence upon God, he gives us sleep. And in that sleep he gives us, he renews our strength for each new day. He renews our, our will to keep going at it, to, to not give up. He renews our, our love for our, for our family to, to keep at it, not, to not literally just want to take up pack up, our, pack up our bags and just run away and quit. I would add furthermore that working harder to provide it is a vanity in a different way. You know, we may work long hours to make more money to provide for our family, but in so, in so doing, do we really provide what our family needs? By working hard and having more money, are you really providing what your family needs? Is, that, is not your family's greatest thirst and hunger a knowledge of God through the Savior. There's no amount of work that you can do to provide that. It's not working more hours through that. Only God provides that. And that's why I just, just, I reminded just how much I need the Lord to provide for what my family truly needs. But I want to add that God does provide the food and the drink. Exactly what my family needs of a very earthly provisions. This past month, I want to praise God because he has done that more so to us. He's given me restful sleep in those few hours to make it to the next day. He's provided for our home. And how has he done it? He's provided it through many of you. This body, his body, his hands, his love, through your prayers, your mercies, your kindness, the food that you prepared. It's been such a comfort. I can't tell you how, how comforting it's been just after a grueling section of this holding, changing, feeding, burping, screaming. To so just take a bite out of a delicious piece of food that you've provided for us. Thank you. Reminds me of the goodness of the Lord. The gifts and gift cards have been greatly appreciated. You don't know how much diapers we bought. And it just really helps to buy, buy more diapers. And other baby necessities. Oh boy. And the Lord has provided some of you who've just helped in cleaning, holding, caring for our, our, our daughter, Kiara, while we could focus on the boys. Thank you so much for some of you who have just simply served in leadership here at the church so that I can take a vacation and not worry about what's going on here among the congregation. In all these ways, God has provided for my home. And I praise him for that, and I thank you for being his instruments. Well, lastly, a fourth lesson that God has taught me, and we find in the text, is that I need the Lord to bless my home. We need the Lord to bless our homes. In Genesis, from the... From the very beginning of creation, the multiplication of children has been the blessing of God upon mankind. Children are God's blessing. And then, as well as today, when couples are unable to have children, it can be a source of great pain and frustration. And I know it was for my wife and I. I'm pretty sure that it is for some of you. However, Psalm in these verses recognizes that one must depend upon God for the blessing of children. 
Now, I'm not going to say that Cindy and I trusted the Lord the whole 18 years before our first child. There were many times of temptation, giving in to temptation, to despair, to question, to doubt, to be angry with our God. But thankfully, as Christians, as those who have the Spirit of God and the Word of God, God would always draw us back to what His Word says. And where we would go to His Word and we would yield our crushed hopes and disappointments to Him. How could we not? We had trusted Him for our salvation, for our eternal life. How could we not trust Him for everything else? So with an acute awareness that these words that we look at in verse 3 through 5 may be a salt on the wound for some of you, I pray that God would be your hope. Verse 3, behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. We learn here that children are a gift They're a gift from God. Literally, the word gift means inheritance. They're an inheritance from God. God gives children to us as an inheritance. Inheritance is something that's valuable, that's passed on. You know, he's not just a gift like it's an elephant, white elephant gift. You know, know, I don't really need this, but here you have it. Inheritance is something that's precious that you want to pass on to the next generation. God gives us something precious. He gives us a life that we inherit, that we are given charge of to pass on, to, to care for. God's freely given to us from God. It's freely given by God to whomever he wishes. Now, Scripture makes clear that God has the power to open and close the womb. He is the one who sovereignly gives children to a couple. He does so in his timing. When we think about the Scriptures, we think about Abraham and his 25 years. We think about stories of Hannah and her waiting Think about many stories. Sometimes it's easy for us to take for granted our children. I always did took for granted that God would just give children. But this verse reminds me in a very concrete way, in a clear way, that children are given to us from the Lord according to his sovereign will. And as couples who are trying or expecting children, this verse reminds us that we must depend upon God. Whether you're just starting where you're waiting three, five, seven, ten, fifteen years down the road. We must depend upon God. In the latter half of verse three, we find that not only are children a gift of the Lord, but the, it says here the fruit of the womb are called a reward. Now, when I see this, I think, well, that, that kind of doesn't make sense. How can children be a gift given to us freely? And yet also reward. Or when I hear the, when this word reward means something that's a wage, something that you earn, that you deserve. How can children be, on one hand, a gift from God, and then something that's earned? It's like saying salvation is a gift, but it's also you've got to earn it. That's very Roman Catholic. That's not biblical. Children, however, are a gift and they're a reward. Let me explain. Although parenting a child is hard work, it takes difficult, it takes a lifetime, as many of you uh, older parents are aware of, to raise up a child. Children are a reward for parents who faithfully raise up their children to follow the ways of the Lord. Yes, they are given to us as gifts, as newborns. But as they are, we raise them, as we do the work of raising them up to, to follow the ways of the Lord, in adulthood, they are the reward of your labors. A child can be one of the greatest rewards or blessings in this life. Third John verse 4 says, Have no greater joy than to see my child walking in the Lord. And I trust that some of our older parents would agree with that, echo that, who watch your, child, your, your older children walk in the Lord, who themselves are in turn trying to raise their children to walk in the Lord. May that be children are the greatest blessings and rewards from God. 
And we see how so in verse 4 to 5 in another way as well. We don't, and I just want to read the text for you. It says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. The imagery here is of children that the children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. They're like people who they're like those who advocate for you when you're at the city gates where all when trials will be brought together. So children, particularly grown children, are called are rewards are rewards for us parents in the sense that they protect and defend and advocate for us in our old age. Now, I know we teach particularly that children are to leave and cleave, leave their parents and cleave when they get married. And we do that. We teach that's biblical. But it's not an excuse for us to abandon our parents. It does not negate or absolve our responsibility as children, adult children particularly, to care and protect for our parents in their old age. We must do that. It's our calling. It's what God calls us to do, no matter how hard that may be. But nevertheless, we learn here that children are a gift of the Lord. And as we raise them up, they are a reward and that they will protect and defend and advocate for us when we ourselves cannot. Now, I know in our era, more couples today are choosing to be child-free. Because we realize that children are a lot of work. That sometimes we might think of too much trouble. They leave us with too many sleepless nights caring and worrying for them. But this text reminds us, these verses remind us that they are a blessing from God. God, each time when God tells, God tells mankind to be fruitful and multiply, what is it? it is a blessing. He said, God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. The children of the fruitfulness and multiplication of children is intended by God as a blessing. Not as a command to be, oh, I got to have children. It's meant to be a blessing. And yes, I know. I've heard from the older, some of our older parents that children are a heartache. It causes many pains. But they are intended by God to be a blessing. They are a blessing and not only do they protect us, but they're a blessing because children are a means of God's sanctification of us, aren't they? I know I've been just greatly humbled this past month Oh, I've been seeing so much of my sin, how much I need the Savior once again. It's caused me to grow in love for God the Father and how much he loves me, how he's so long-suffering with me, how he's so patient with me, even though I continually sin against him time and time. It reminds me how I need to do the same when it comes to my own daughter and my own sons, when they disobey for the hundredth time and they, they pull our cat's tail once again. No, no, do not pull Phoebe's tail. And that's just now. What's going to be the next? What is it going to be when she becomes a teenager? <laughs> but we're reminded that children are arrows. They're arrows to be fashioned, focused, and fired into the world. There are inheritance that we receive from the Lord and that we leave for the next generation. But we must depend upon the Lord, not only for the gift of these children, but for even how we raise them up, that they might follow him. This year is our 20th year of marriage. I know, I don't look that old. <laughs> but I, actually, I heard uh, Pastor Dave showed a photo of me as a young man, so you, you've seen the change now. And as an anniversary gift, God has blessed us with two sons. Two sons. Praise God. And along with our beloved daughter, 20 years, bless the Lord, for he is faithful to himself, his promises. He is faithful to his love and kindness and truth. He acts consistently with his word. He has blessed us with these children. A gift. And I pray a reward. I don't know why God has made us wait so long for children. Maybe when I, I sometimes think when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. Maybe when I get there, it won't matter. But I do know that part of it has been to teach me and teach my wife to depend upon him for the blessing of our home. May our lives, may his word, 
be an encouragement to you to trust the same. Let's pray. Father, oh Lord, how much we need you for our homes. Lord, it just seems so easy. Everybody's doing it. Everybody has children. Everybody raises them up. Everyone provides. Everyone sends them off. Everyone teaches them. It just seems like it's so natural. It must be so easy. Until it is our turn. Oh, Lord, I thank you for the lessons that you've taught me this past month. Thank you for the lessons that are these lessons, for they are revealed in your word. Father, we see how much we need you. We need you for the building up of our homes, the protection of our homes, the providing for our homes, and Lord, yes, the blessing of our homes. Lord, as worshipers of you, remind us to never to try to do this on our own, that these children that you give to us, this family that you give to us, are meant to be raised up, to be shepherded, to be, to be taught, to be loved, to be provided, to be protected, to be built independence completely upon you that we would learn from you and your ways that we would be reminded how much we need you ourselves that we would teach that to our children that they would then teach it to their children that they would be a reward not only for our lives in our lives but may they be an inheritance for the next generation to point others to their need for Jesus Christ their need for you in their homes. Father, there is, our world, as you know, does, has, has completely abandoned their need for you in their homes. In fact, the home is being destroyed left and right. So, Father, we pray and cry that we would be people who need you in our homes, that we would not neglect you in our homes, that we would depend upon your homes, and that by our lives, And by the words that we speak, we would show to the world that there is a difference. Father, help us to depend upon you. Remind us how much we need you in all our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.